Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, The Mind of a Free Man. This is your host, Joseph Freeman. Hope you enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Mind of a Freeman with Joseph Freeman. Hope everybody had a wonderful holiday. Merry Christmas. Uh, hope that everybody got what they wanted for Christmas. I got, I didn't really ask for much. I was just asked for like socks, bed clothes. I bought myself this Play-Doh putty stuff. It's pretty dope. Honestly, it's got a lot of sparkles in it. Looks like a ball sack at the moment. Um, started a YouTube channel for those who don't already know. The name of the YouTube channel is, as you would guess, The Mind of a Freeman. So go check it out. I think there's probably like three videos on there. I just kind of got started with this stuff as far as recording and uploading to YouTube and getting the video files separated from the audio files to where I can post them on Spotify and on YouTube separately. So just kind of working out the kinks on that, trying out new things. At the moment, I'm recording with Zoom, my last episode that was about cosmetology and specifically hairstylists or hairstyling. That was filmed on my iPhone, so it didn't turn out. It turned out okay. It wasn't bad, but the angle was kind of weird. And I like with with the Zoom at the moment, I got this cool-ass background of my snake, my little pet corn snake dickhead. As you can see, he's got a little, he's in the background. Uh, you can see he's got a little little dick on top of his head. So I couldn't think of a better name than that. And I wasn't thinking very creative at the moment. So it just kind of stuck. And that's what other people have been calling him. But so please enjoy it. There's a whole thing. He was chilling on his little branch. He's much bigger now. That's an older picture, probably. Well, let's say like three months after I got him. He was just a little baby when I got him. But. Yeah, hope everybody had a wonderful Christmas. Everything, everything in my world's been going okay. Kind of a touchy subject today. Kind of dreading getting into it, honestly. I've been trying to come up with some more positive, funny, uh, entertaining subjects. Uh, This one is kind of a hot topic and it's very concerning and it's probably easy to talk about or it's not necessarily easy, but it's something that I think that everybody would agree on. Uh, let me get a snag of this real quick. So, yeah, if you see me fidgeting a lot, it's this stuff right here. I'm pretty much addicted to it. I play with it all the time. It's just, I constantly do this. I'm a fidgety person, if you can't tell. My, uh, my brain moves faster than my mouth can, which is why I resort to saying like and um and other filler words like that, which is once again part of the reason I made this podcast is to try to help eliminate some of that. So to get back to the subject, the the subject that I was gonna talk about today is <clears throat> slavery. So immediately you're probably thinking with all this stuff going on recently. It's going to be something about American history, which I will touch on that later on, but 
I guess this technically still is American history, but um, the slavery that I'm specifically talking about is the slavery that goes into what makes our our electronic devices such as cell phones, televisions, cell phones, televisions, certain things that are used in automobiles, I guess, like GPS systems, your car play, your radio, anything that really has cobalt or lithium. So I guess like anything hybrid, like your, well, you know, a few years ago, most of the hybrids were just Priuses, Toyota Priuses, but now just about every car manufacturer has a hybrid that or even a full electric car but they all use lithium batteries it's one of the best batteries out at the moment as far as milliamp per hour uh, capability and output for the size and weight of the battery <clears throat> lead acid batteries just way too much because a they're made of lead and they're filled with acid and you know you move them around and all that acid moves around you have to put baffles in them versus lithium is more of a it doesn't have a liquid electrolyte in it so it's it's lighter i don't know specifically how they're built but they're lighter they're more efficient and they have a lot more storage than typical lead acid batteries which is used in the little square lead acid batteries are the little square batteries that you have in your car like the traditional battery <clears throat> or even uh just regular double a's and all the way up until like probably i don't know the 90s or 2000s is when lithium first started coming around and being used widely but so but yeah lithium uh, another element is cobalt and i'm sure there's some others but there's using they're used they are used in all of our devices specifically i don't know specifically what cobalt is used for i assume it's used in the processors but i know lithium is used obviously in any sort of battery and other things like that that require the storage and conduction of electricity. So, but to get to it here, I have some web pages pulled up. This one is specifically the Washington Post. Their uh, the title is called the Cobalt Pipeline, and it talks about how sixty percent of the nation's cobalt, or not the nation's, but the world's cobalt comes from the Congo. And a very good amount of this cobalt is obtained through slave labor, uh, specifically child slaves. And just the fact that Africa and specifically the Congo is a very corrupt and poor country to begin with. And so it gets preyed on fairly easily. It makes you wonder, you know, it's pretty common knowledge now that that's how they are the suppliers are obtaining these minerals so us being in the 21st century how have we not figured out a way around this or found out a more humane way of obtaining these materials without sacrificing you know cost of product for us you know iPhones are in our eyes expensive right thousand dollars now for whatever the new iPhone is. I remember the when the iPhone 10 came out, it was the first one to be right around a thousand dollars and everybody's mind was blown, but you know, and in retrospect, the materials that are the materials that are inside the device and how where the device is assembled is pales in comparison to the price of the product. So 
a lot of these materials, the labor is essentially free as far as those two elements that I know of specifically. And I can pull up some articles later on in the podcast, but I know that where they're assembled, there is not necessarily slave labor, but it's an equivalent to the coal mines back in the Great Depression. So uh, it's just these countries and these communities where basically the only places that the the only places that these people have to work at are you know the suppliers for Apple where they assemble these phones, and they're so poor that they don't really have the option of leaving and finding better opportunities for themselves. So, and again, this is the, the, the contractors who assemble devices over in Asia. A lot of these citizens live in basically dormitories, just these little 800 square foot. I mean, an 800 square foot apartment here is pretty standard for a one bedroom apartment or even a large studio apartment, but there they have, probably four or five people live in their bunk beds and they're just really grungy, nasty, basic. There's no creature comforts. There's no quality of life there. It's basically get up, go to work and do whatever. So it's got to the point where since these people have no option of getting out of this constant cycle that the government and the companies who own these little dormitories that their employees live in and can't seem to escape. They have to put nets in front of the windows because there's so many people who attempt to jump out in order to commit suicide because it's basically their own escape, the only way of escaping. And, you know, come to think of it, what we're, what I'm recording this on in this right here, you know, it's all been done because of them. Um, not in a negative way, they didn't have a choice, but it's been produced uh, by the hands of basically slave labor. And the fact that as far into the future that we are, we haven't figured out a way to combat this or figured out a way around it to make it feasible and reasonable uh, to obtain still without having to resort to that sort of labor to make it affordable. So it just pretty much blows my mind how most of civilization or most of the people in America would say, um, they might not directly know all the facts about it, but they can pretty much assume that, you know, everybody knows what a sweatshop is, right? So some kid in there working all day long, 12 hours, barely a break for like 50 cents an hour, just a sweatshop. There's no like OSHA, no labor laws, no requirements to give them lunch breaks or anything like that. So, and you know, there's, there's millions and millions and millions of people, you know, just think of the U S population, uh, you know, it's up in the hundreds of million now and just about everyone has a cell phone or at least a TV or internet or a laptop or a combination of all three or more. And all pretty much a majority of those devices have been created through slave labor, assembled through slave labor. And we're aware of it. I mean, even look at our tennis shoes. Um, everybody knows that Nike uses sweatshops to when they're producing these tennis shoes. And, you know, basically the clothes that we're wearing, 
you know, everything that around us has been affected by some sort of forced labor or uh, indentured servitude. So if we were able to overcome it in our own country, you know, hundreds of years ago, why can't we overcome it now? You know, now that through the industrial revolution, we have come so far and developed as a country to, you know, we figured out a way to, you know, source cotton and make it affordable. Granted, there was a war fault. Um, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole quite yet. I will here in a little bit, but you know, just in modern times, this is happening right now. It's not history. It's not something that we're looking back on that's currently happening today. As I speak, there's probably, you know, people working for nothing or barely anything just to create the next iPhone 12 that's going to be coming out or has already come out. Um, so what are we doing about it? Um, so I read a little bit about that. And from what I can understand, the United Nations kind of cracked down on it a little bit. There was a lawsuit filed against Apple, Samsung, Tesla, and a bunch of other companies. Um, how was it worded? Because they were, how was it worded? They were enabling uh, slave labor overseas through their suppliers. And basically all that they made them do is submit a paper saying how they're going to change their code of conduct, conduct for their suppliers, which basically does absolutely nothing. Um, the companies just had to release, uh, once again, a code of conduct of what their suppliers should follow and how they should conduct themselves, which we all know fairly well that that is not going to happen because uh, Apple has no way of auditing every single or any manufacturer has no way of efficiently auditing every single supplier and assuring that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, supposed to be doing. So yeah, it's just crazy. <clears throat> they're able to get away with all of this and to us really, we don't really question it that much because we do, you know, morally we realize that it's, it's wrong to do that, but really do we believe that it's that bad if we're not at an outrage over it? You know, we're not having any major, how would you say it? Any major like protest or anything. There have been protests against Apple and big tech, but really as a country, I mean, it's not just America, it's not just us, it's every major developed country, whether it be the Middle East, Europe, you know, Russia, um, pretty much everywhere, Canada, there's not been, you know, mass protests on like, hey, we need to stop this, even though everybody agrees that, that this type of labor is unacceptable. So it's mind boggling. Uh, the more you think about it, the more you really take time to think about it of how, especially here recently in the United States, that we have had all of these protests and civil unrests about our history and, you know, the wrongdoings of African-Americans in our history, which I do not deny, you know, Africans-Americans, Native Americans, you know, Asians, they were all exploited in Americans' history or America's history. Um, and 
you know, probably still are today. But, and then, so with all of this going on, all these protests about our history and how people, you know, believe that it's still going on in other aspects um, and how it's affected us over time, such as like generational wealth and things like that. You know, we're just dealing with the wake of all those things while in the meantime, we're spreading awareness of the wake of our own actions by using those actions, which are currently going on in other countries to do that, which is, it blows my mind. It's like, Hey, we we were treated wrong. And I'm not saying, I don't, I'm not saying that this is, I'm not saying that what was done was acceptable, but I just find it to be an oxymoron that people say like, Hey, we were, our family was mistreated a hundred years ago. Um, this needs to be recognized. And then meanwhile, what they're using to send that message with is something uh, that was created in the same way that those products were hundreds of years ago by their own family. Um, it's a really touchy ass subject. So this is probably coming out all wrong. It's probably going to bomb my podcast from here on out, but you know what? That's fun. Um, I just feel like I should speak on it. Um, so, and really, like I said, uh, 60% of the world's cobalt comes from the Congo. Um, and when I say the world's cobalt, I mean like Europe, Russia, China, Japan, Australia, North America, South America, Canada, you know, you name it. That's, uh, anybody who consumes cobalt in any way, shape or form or uses it to manufacture anything, 60% of it comes from the Congo. And the biggest change that I've seen so far is just the United Nations making these companies write a little essay on uh, a code of conduct of what their suppliers should be following. And clearly it didn't do anything. So this is where I carry on to, uh, to our nation's history, which is also about to get interesting. So me being from a, you know, I don't know my family lineage back hundreds and hundreds of years or anything, but I know it back to, you know, the nearest three or four generations. Um, barely, I would say, yeah, maybe three or four generations. So originally, um, I know at least one side of my family came from Ireland. Um, there's two brothers. They shook hands when they got off the boat in America and went their separate ways and never, never got in contact with each other ever again. Um, I don't know exactly what year that was. It's just a family heirloom story that has been told so far. Um, you know, my grandma told it to my mom. My mom told it to me. Um, that's just on her side of the family. My dad's side of the family is a little more fuzzy, but long story short, dates back to um, at least the early 1800s. And, you know, I would consider myself uh, a person from Southern descent. And recently, that statement, um, a person from Southern descent, immediately, especially being a white person, um, it immediately kind of demonizes you in a way uh, people assume that your family owns slaves or that you're probably 
that you probably don't mind the history that happened in the South. Um, although most people don't understand the economics of what was going on and it's basically what's going on today. Um, once again, I don't condone any of that stuff. I don't like, I don't agree with it whatsoever. So I don't, I don't, I don't agree with slavery past, present or future. Uh, just to make that clear for any hard headed people that may be listening to this, but, um, I just want to make a comparison um, from America's past to America's present and its involvement in slavery and how time is kind of repeating itself as it's going along. Um, so same here as I just spoke about how um, all of our commodities are, or most of our electronic commodities have been produced through slave labor. Same thing was happening in 17 and 1800s uh, in early America. You know, and, and whenever America was first discovered and developed in 1776, um, declared independence, you know, we were a brand new country. We were kind of figuring things out, excuse me, and we weren't quite on the map um, economically quite yet. You know, we didn't have something that we were known for producing, you know, um, the, the, the islands uh, down below us, um, such as Haiti and everything, they were they were producing a lot of sugar cane. And um, I mean, I'm not that big of a historian or anything, but I'm fairly familiar with it. Uh, China was creating a lot of gunpowder. Europe was creating a lot of, of specific crops. Uh, in the 1800s, I believe it was England had two thirds of the world's spindles which created um what did they create it was like string and shirts from cotton so basically things that that take processed cotton uh, cotton in which has the seeds removed from it and they weave it into string rope anything else such as that they make clothes england is doing two-thirds of all this production right so they got to get cotton from somewhere and the cheaper the better and the more the better so america having very fertile soil and ideal conditions for growing cotton and tobacco and sugarcane and other things such as that they started growing all this stuff and exporting it over to england to be produced and then importing it back to america to be consumed so because the South was mostly agricultural and the North was industrial. So the North was heavily involved in basically what England was doing, but America was doing their own thing. They had their own spindles, creating cotton twine and rope and clothes and things such as that. So they had some competition and America did as well, but really later on down the road in the 1800s, they really didn't have the same type of competition that the North did as far as market competition on their, their major source of income. So America as a whole was growing shit tons of cotton and exporting it overseas to be produced by a country which had a larger means of production. And then which, so if they have a larger means of production, that means that they have 
uh, more employees available, more equipment, and ultimately because they can do it on a mass scale, then they can produce it cheaper in larger batches and then ship it back and the overall price will be much cheaper. So this, an this is an advantage for the South and England and consumers in America who are consuming anything made of cotton, but it's a disadvantage for Northern industrialists who are involved in any of those trades. So one of the things that America did to help be competitive in the market for, or competitive in the industrial market uh, against the other companies in the world is they introduced tariffs. So to encourage domestic purchase of cotton made products, once again, such as rope, twine, string, t-shirts, they impose those tariffs on imports from all countries such as England, which is where they were getting most of their imports from, which, you know, upfront sounds good, you know, makes, makes the market more competitive, you know, made here, bought here, more people buying things from that are locally made, which, you know, is catch 22 because really it's good for one half of America's economy or really one quarter of it because three quarters of America's economy was cotton at that point. So it was good for one quarter of the economy, but it was really hurting the other three quarter of the economy. Um, cotton really put America on the, on the stage, center stage, the economic stage of the world at that time for being the greatest producer of cotton. And cotton was really something that was in demand at the time. Um, so because things had to be bought or things were, it was better to buy things from the North. Uh, it really made it inefficient to buy things from England, which was the South's major uh, exporter of their cotton. Um, it really brought down the price of cotton because there wasn't as much of a demand for it worldwide because the price was going up for anyone outside the United States who wanted to buy it. So this created some turmoil because the North was getting uh, the good side of the deal in two ways, so twice at once. Um, in one way, it meant that they were competitive against anyone else. They didn't really have to worry about um, anyone outpricing them or producing, you know, a higher quality product for or even offering something at less of a price because of these tariffs. While at the same time, the South had no other option than to sell to the North, which made well, let me back that up a little bit. So the South could sell their cotton overseas to England, but because no one needed to buy anything from England due to the import tariffs, it made the price of cotton go down because there was no need to export it to any other countries worldwide. So with that being said, most of the countries did not export cotton anymore, which the South heavily relied on was the export of cotton. So this created a heavy imbalance um, 
in the economy and really stirred things up. And after a while, there were so many tariffs um, imposed over a period of time and things really got carried away. And it got to the point where uh, cotton farmers were losing 85% of their income and going bankrupt. And in history, uh, specifically in schools and things like that, people say that the reasons for these tariffs were try to get away from were to try to get away from slavery. Um, yet they fail to mention that uh, the first tariffs were imposed around 1819, and meanwhile the first cotton gin uh, was invented in Georgia in 1793. Um, the South was looking to get away from slavery, you know, already in the 18th century, you know, towards the end of the 1700s. Um, because morally everybody understood that, you know, anybody with any sort of, any sort of decent conscience understood that slave labor was not, was not great, especially the people on the front lines who had to be involved in it. Um, plus it's really not as efficient as it could be for something as simple as harvesting cotton. So, um, with the invention of the cotton gin, uh, things could have really turned around easily in the next 100 years or so as it developed, because really, um, I don't remember if electricity was invented by that time or not, but by the time electricity would have been invented, um, that process could have been improved a lot more and made even more efficient and way more realistic and usable. But due to the fact that tariffs were going up so fast and, you know, tons of companies going bankrupt, uh, a lot of cotton farms were going bankrupt. And keep in mind, this is, this is America's, uh, pretty much their whole economy is cotton or they're raising and harvesting of cotton and shipping it overseas. Um, so they're really shooting themselves in the foot and it's making a lot of people angry. And uh, it gets to the point where, you know, they have to make one choice or the other. It's either go bankrupt or, you know, secede uh, to try to get away from these tariffs and start their own country and continue business as usual in developing cotton gins and more efficient means of production and more humane means of production. Um, but of course, you know, the war broke out and, you know, there has been quotes, um, in Lincoln's speech, for example, he said that if he could end the war by freeing every slave, he would do it. And if he could end the war by not freeing any slaves, he would also do it. Um, so really it shows that he was indifferent to freeing the slaves and that it was more of a war tactic. And Robert E. Lee was also quoted uh, saying the same thing, that if he could end the war by freeing every slave, he would. Um, so really, I feel like this, this negative outlook on people of Southern descent uh, based on slavery is understandable but I feel like it's unneeded especially being in our current day and age and understanding that you know 99.9% .9 of people agree that slavery was not a just thing to do 
Um, meanwhile, as we are in this kind of awkward state of turmoil, we're overseeing and completely ignoring uh, slavery that's actively going on right in front of us. And we are utilizing equipment that is the result of slavery. Um, so it's really just a big old oxymoron. And it is, what's the word? It is, I can't think of it right now, but it's just really, it, it's mind boggling in my opinion. But on a more positive note, this stuff is addictive. But I don't know what y'all got for Christmas. Um, what I got was, like I said, uh, sheet socks. Uh, I got myself this putty. Um, girlfriend gave me a Bluetooth speaker and some cologne. I guess she thinks it'll stink or something. But um, bought myself some uh, some Bloody Mary mix. It's called a uh, Charleston Bold and Spicy Bloody Mary mix. It's super good. Um, or if you're a Bloody Mary person, it's good. But um, another interesting kind of science feat that I like to I like to mention a little bit of science every now and then kind of bring up some interest in the podcast. Um, I haven't researched it a whole lot, but I know that I believe it was Korean scientists have created a, a nuclear, I believe it's fusion device. So normally we utilize nuclear fission and nuclear power plants and atom bombs and things such as that. But nuclear fusion works a little bit differently. I might have that backwards, but I believe it's fusion. Works a little bit more differently. It's, it's a little violent and it's harder to control, but uh, you can obtain quite a bit more power from it. And so these Korean scientists have created a nuclear fusion machi machine and they engineered it, got it going, produced it. They got it all set up and the thing's massive, honestly. I have no clue how it works or how it even regulates its temperature, but I've seen an article today that they ran the thing uh, for about 20 seconds and achieved a temperature of, I believe it's 180 million degrees, which is something like 100, I don't know, it was like 10 times the temperature of the sun or something like that, which I have no clue how that thing did not immediately explode or melt down, um, but it's truthfully amazing. There's some other things that have been discovered. Um, what is it? The, the quantum computers that are recently being developed. I think Google has one and some other countries, countries, some other companies have been making them and they're super powerful. I honestly will give it probably five years at most before they're in, uh, you know, high end gaming computers and things such as that. Maybe a little more. It depends on if the military really captures interest in it. Uh, military, the military has also has a lot of supercomputers that they do whatever with. Uh, who knows? But so we definitely got some good things to look forward to um, as far as technology goes. But hopefully, um, as far as humanity goes and society, uh, we get a little bit better. And you know kind of thinking before you speak uh, I guess is the best way to put it 
especially in in America specifically's current climate um, with this, you know, social justice reform and everything when we're not really hardly at all looking at the social justice around the world and the fact that we're all benefiting from, you know, everyone else's sacrifices. So this is probably going to be a pretty short video slash recording. Um, I'll see you next time.